This is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> Yay. And as always, we want to thank uh, Central Works for sponsoring The Yay. Central Works New Play Theater, headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Sleifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. And boy, this is a fantastic, I had no idea what my mood would be today, but of course at 8.30 in the morning, we got the news that finally Pennsylvania came through and Joe Biden is our 46th president. Yay. 8.46. (laughs) Right on. Uh, I tell you, it's, and and it's funny because I've been talking to, um, oh, you know what, I'm I'm being rude. Let me introduce our guests, Jamie Greenblatt and Richard Jennings. Uh, Jamie, uh, Richard, how are you doing? Great. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, how are you doing? I am so relieved. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Uh, He is our 46th president and uh, it's, you know, it's, I know it's been, it's been uh, gut wrenching just watching the process, but you know, this is democracy at its work. I mean, you know, no one can say that your vote doesn't count. I mean, to think that a little old lady who cast a vote in either Nevada or Arizona is counted and uh, you know, people in the White House and people in Scranton, Pennsylvania are just watching um, what the vote count would be. And it came to the la- to the wire and, you know, boom, now we know. Oh, we went past the wire. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> this is a hellish week. <laughs> but think about what it could have been if, if Trump had won, you know, what it would be like four years from now at the next election. Oh, baby. I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, do you know how to spell fascism? I think that's a word we'd be using a lot. T-R-U-M-P. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just finished doing a production of um, an adaptation of Bertolt Brecht's, um, uh, what do we call it? The uh, the not so, uh, the private lives of the not so master race. So when you mentioned fascism, you know, we we think we hit it on the head when we were writing and acting, you know, uh, interpreting Bertolt Brecht's pieces in the age of Trump. And so, but hey, it's over. Our long national, our long national nightmare is over. To quote, um, um, what was it? It was, um, oh, who's president after Nixon? Ford. President? Gerald no. Ford. Oh, Gerald Ford. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> Gerald Ford quotes today. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was let's, let's let's celebrate the one-term presidents. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Really. Jamie, how, how do you feel? How has it been? Just the four years of dealing with all of this, and how do you feel today? Oh my gosh. Um, so I wasn't ready to get so, so personal here. Um, so I, in the streets, I pass as white, but I'm a Jew. Right. And it's been very scary. And um, I have a lot of friends who are people of color. And um, the other thing that's very personal about me is I'm almost an immigrant to the United States. My family emigrated from the United States and I made a conscious decision to come back to the US. And um, it just was so painful for me to see this country, which is so important to me, be taken apart with such ease. I had no idea how vulnerable our democracy was. Right the last four years I really and I, I so wished you know I can't thank Trump for that I wish I mean that's not how I wish someone we had had a president who had warned us how vulnerable so we could have fixed it before something like this happened so right. I'm very relieved 
And I'm also very excited that four years from now that we could have a female president from Berkeley, California. That's right. Well, Living Oakland, Oakland. Yeah. And Berkeley. <laughs> we have birthright. We have birthright. Exactly. No, hey, Kamala Harris. I mean, it's it's amazing. I've seen Kamala. You know, I work at the DA's office, and I remember when Kamala came in and defeated Terrence Hallinan. And I tell you, just the presence of her. You know, it's. I don't know if anyone has ever been next to greatness or next to someone who you know is going to ascend to something greater. And I just had that feeling about her. I, of course, I had no idea it would be as profound as being the vice president. Now, I honestly, believe she's going to run for president. If it's not oh, four years, it'll be yeah. eight years. Or she but, may uh, be. Uh... She may ascend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She may. <laughs> she may ascend. Exactly. Uh, Richard, how, how do you feel? I mean, I'm sure you have seen, I mean, it's interesting what you say, Jamie, about uh, just how fragile democracy is. Uh, there's a famous quote by Dr. King, freedom isn't free. You know, we have to pay for it via the vote. And I think we, it, it's been an incredible civics lesson, a painful civics lesson, but one we had to learn. Um, how, what are your feelings, Richard? Well, civics is a good word. Civics is a good word. You know, I, I, I grew up in a small town in southwestern Michigan, mm. uh, and my parents, you know, and my parents were of generation that they, they lived through the Great Depression. My my dad went off to war the day he graduated from college. He, next day, he was in the army. He was in some the Battle of the Bulge and all sorts of crazy mm -hmm. things, you know. Everybody of my parents' generation was active in the fight against world fascism, mm -hmm. and it was it was it was a similar time, you know. I'm, and I'm looking at it from their perspective. I'm looking at it from the perspective of my kids. I have a 38 year old daughter and five mm -hmm. and seven year old granddaughters and 22 year old twins. My 22 year olds, you know, they're they're getting the shaft right uh, right now with just the craziness in the world and coronavirus and what have you. And I have to compare, I've told them that I compare them to my parents' generation and that they're growing up, they're coming of age in a time when there's a lot of people are dying. You don't know who's going to die. You don't know how it's all going to end. And, and yeah. the social issues that have come up now, the social justice issues that they really, they really have a handle on it. <laughs> I, I've had some very good discussions and boy, they, they they have thought deeply and have good answers and, and they Richard, have what's no in, doubt. What's interesting is I also have a, a 22 year old and prior to this, they had grown up with Obama. Right. So they thought the world was different until Trump came to power. They took it for granted. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of us did. A lot of us really thought, I honestly thought, and I still believe now that America is far more liberal, although, no, I have to change that because really it's half and half. I mean, you know, this election has told me anything. It's wonderful how so many people voted, but really, you know, it, you know, as, as, as many people, sure, four million more people voted for Biden, but there was still a hell of a lot of people who voted for Trump. So Over that's something million. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. So Norman, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, uh, it's, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about it's You usually ask about the week. Uh, this week was just hell. This week was just waiting for this to finish and, and no, and, and a great civics lesson. Oh my God. The civics lesson was wonderful. 
and I knew some of this already. Like I've, you follow the propositions in California and it's always sometimes weeks before they finally get to that place where they can say which one passed, which one went down to defeat. That's the way elections work. That's the way it's supposed to work. And once again, our current president taught us that the system that media has set up this system to make everything glossy and quick. And so we're used to people just announcing on the night of and we think it's all over, but it really wasn't. It hasn't been. That's historically not true. So it was great that we had to truck out all this history and say, well, no, this is the way it's always been done. This is how this was. This was this year, by the way. These are these years. We can line this all up for you. This is how it works. So I was like, okay, well, then he's going to win, but Biden is going to win, but we have to watch the messy process. And yeah, I, I don't know how many times I laid here on my couch just refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> for something else, looking for someplace else. Yeah, What's exactly. in Nevada? I've never cared about Nevada so much in my life. <laughs> Yeah, I had uh, really all this week, even during work, streaming CNN, just, you know, just watching. And luckily, because a lot of these channels, they'll say, well, you have to have a subscription to, you know, to view the content and all that sort right. of stuff. But they were like, no, it's free. And we want everyone to see what's going on in real time. And really, it was, I mean, this week, everyone is staring at their screens. Even the anchors are staring at their screens, yep. watching, you know, the voting process, really like watching you know, your mom in, in the kitchen, you know, seeing how the dinner is done in real time. Right. Um, <clears throat> instead of just, you know, boom, it's just on the table. You know, now we know how democracy is in real time. Well, it'll be neat to see the new heroes that grow out of this because those people with their charts, <laughs> breaking it all down in real time for us, doing the math, you know, and, and not being partisan. They really weren't being partisan. This is how it works. This is what we know. Therefore, this is what we will predict, but it's not official. It's not official. Those people were amazing. Yeah, I'm so jealous of that. Uh, I want that wall, the wall that um, yeah. uh, the CNN guy has, you know, the touch screen and all that stuff. That, that's it really, really amazing. cool. We need that. <laughs> the yay needs that. Yeah. Uh, hey, give me give me some money. I need we need more sponsors. Uh, and, and actually, and then, you know, and I try to balance, you know, the politic, political news with some fun news. But in Rabbit Hash, Kentucky, uh, they elected a dog for their mayor. <laughs> Oh. which ah. is something that they do. Uh, I guess it's a fundraiser thing. I guess they right. like two dogs are in competition and people fundraise money or they put money on, you know, who, who what dog will win and that money will go to a charity. <laughs> what state was this? Kentucky. Rabbit Hash, Kentucky. Kentucky. Oh, I would wow. have loved for the dog to have beat Mitch McConnell, but, you know. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, there's still a runoff to go on in Georgia, Georgia. Uh, for the Senate. Two, two seats. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping for that. And Paula White, well, uh, you and I talked about oh, this, Norman, buddy. the spiritual advisor to Trump, who apparently went on in her church and I guess got happy. And I guess, you know, in her version, I mean, you know, I've been to church and, you know, getting happy was a lot more involved than in what she was doing. People, you have to watch YouTube, too, or watch a stream and just do a Google search and you'll see. Well, then all those DJs picked it up. <laughs> right exactly yeah they did a remix of all of that stuff and basically just praying for trump to you know prank on miracle and angels from africa to save Af trump the africa and uh, someplace else these these brown people angels right are going to come and save trump just just absolutely crazy i mean brown there are a lot of people angels 
there are a lot of nuts out there who really do drink the Kool-Aid or the flavor aid that uh, Trump puts out there. And it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, I really do hope that the country, I mean, being different is, is just fine. If you want to be a Republican, that's fine. But we can at least be decent towards one another. So. Well, we're going to we, have to deal with that. You know, that, that this is there. Those 50, almost 50 percent of the people are still going to be out there. Yep. And there's going to be a small percentage of them that are going to keep pushing crazy stuff. And a lot yep. of them have guns. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. So we, can we get back to a truth era, though? Can we get past the post-truth era? <laughs> can we get back to you can't just say shit because you <laughs> want to. It actually has to be true. Yeah. And, and have some decency for the presidency, you know, it's not about you. That chair has been there for 200 some odd years, you know, um, have, have, have some respect for the office. And with that, let's talk about Jamie Greenblatt and Richard Jennings. Let's talk about Play Cafe and Musical Cafe. I remember Jamie and I were talking off mic that uh, I got involved with the uh, musical, ca- the, yeah, the musical cafe first with um, The Chain. It was a, a play uh, written, uh, musical written by Allison Luderman and uh, I'm got the, the poster there, uh, Lauren Leonard. But in any case, that was in the spring of um, 2017. And I was open up to- the Allison that we're gonna have next week? Allison Luderman, that's right. The poet oh. slash uh, uh, musical yeah. writer. And we've, all, we've already had Stacey Cray. There have been a lot of individuals and we had Joel Knopf on when we've had, um, oh shucks, um, I, I mentioned his name. Um, he was our very, very first guest. Oh. Jerome. Jerome Gentes, yes, exactly. But so many people have been touched by Musical Cafe and and Play Cafe, having their works uplifted and having an audience come in. And so Musical Cafe, Play Cafe has really touched a lot of lives. And now we have the individuals. What are your titles? Are you the the moderators or the facilitators of Play Cafe, Musical Cafe? Okay, I'll start. I'm the executive director of Play Cafe. Play Cafe is a nonprofit. We've been around for 22 years. And Musical Cafe is one of our programs that was started about five years ago. And, and Richard was one of the founders of that program. And it's a much more visible part of Play Cafe. Play Cafe is much more of a, a private thing where playwrights come in with their plays and we have these wonderful scene nights and table reads. Developmental opportunities and Norman has been one of our favorite cold readers. And I don't know if you guys have ever talked about what a cold reader is, but um, Norman is extraordinary. Yeah, it, t- it takes a real gift to write and to read a script and you know infuse it without, with emotion without having read the script before. Right, with absolutely. no idea where you're going. <laughs> right, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. Create a character right in front of us. Yeah. Well, Jamie, we'll go with you first. Uh, give us an origin story. I mean, beyond Play Cafe, how did you get involved in theater? I mean, where were you born and raised? I was born in Philadelphia. <laughs> ah, there you go. But I didn't live there very long. I think I was, uh, I think I left when I was about a week old. Um, basically followed my father's career and which even included um, a couple of years in El Salvador when I was um, five and six. And then back to the States, back to Maryland. My father actually worked for the U.S. government. He was in public health service. And then my family picked up and moved to Israel when I was 13. So I spent my high school years in Israel. And the day after I graduated high school, I came back to the United States to go to college. I went to Oberlin College. So I went to a college with a strong music program, but I have absolutely no musical ability. <laughs> college, I am... Um, I 
I was primarily in the theater department doing set and costume design. In my senior year, a playwright came to the college to devise a, a play with the students. And I thought to myself, and I, and I was the set and costume designer for that play. And I went, you know what? I really want to be a playwright. <laughs> so I've had a very long apprenticeship. But it started my senior year in, in college. Oh. Wow. And did you have the bug even when you were younger? I mean, I know you weren't necessarily involved in theater, but did, what does, was it in the back of your mind? Well, um, my mother took me to the theater when I was little. We went to the arena stage. Ah, ah in D.C., yeah. In D.C., yeah. Cause, and then when I um, went to Israel, it was kind of a, a dry spot, but we had something special happened where we... Um, my little school put on a um, a musical. We put on Joseph and his, what's it called? Technicolor. Dreamcoat. Joseph yeah. and Jacqueline Dreamcoat. Which was crazy because uh, we didn't get rights to it. And it turns out that, um, I don't know, it's like the composer's brother or something was a missionary in Israel and found out what we were doing and almost shut us down. We were just a couple, just some kids. But that was, um, it was a very special experience. So it was only ever... It was only ever in one one play. Oh, wow. I'm going to do theater, and and oh, and so after college, it took me a long time to figure out how to write um, more traditional plays, and I did more performance art, including uh, and I did some and I performed also. I, I even performed on trapeze <laughs> and with puppets. Wow. Wow, that is awesome. Well, let's jump to uh, Richard. Uh, so you grew up in, I have a friend in Ypsilanti, Michigan, or at least I had a co-worker in Ypsilanti, Michigan. What part of Michigan did you grow up in, Richard? Just the opposite side of the state. That's the eastern side, about the same uh, north-south level, but in the Kalamazoo area. And um, it was a great place to grow up. It was like growing up in 19th century America. Hmm. And and uh, it was also near Kalamazoo, which was the home of Gibson guitars and a nice college. And so I had, there was a lot of stimulation there and I had some good training as a, as a kid. I, I, um, I turned to music basically when I was about seven. My life's been all about music. And, uh, and I started playing trombone and things like that and became kind of serious about it when I was about 11 and 12. I started playing banjo and guitar and, and uh, and I met some friends from, I met some people who were uh, performers. They were the guys that worked at Gibson Guitars in Kalamazoo. And we became buddies and they, I'd go backstage and hang out with them at shows. And, and they soon got me up on stage and started getting me gigs. And so my, my professional career started when I was about 14 with some really good mentors. And I think um, I remember from a conversation you and I've had, didn't you, do, you've done some commercials, right? Haven't you done some professional yeah. commercials? Yeah. Yeah. So I've, yeah, I, I had a, I had a, a career as a folk singer starting yeah. off and a singer songwriter in the seventies. I used to tour the college concert circuit and, uh, and then I went back to school and uh, got my bachelor's and master's degree in voice and composition. And then I, after I moved out to California and just started working as uh, whatever you could, you know, the musician's mantra is, yeah, I can do that. Whatever, <laughs> whatever comes your way, you can just rise to the occasion, much like the actors. What brought you to California? Uh, opportunity, things, I, in Michigan, I was living off grants. Uh, I had, 
there was great funding for the for the arts in Michigan at that time, and I I did really well, and I wrote operas and things like that that got produced, and and uh, but then I could see it was drying up, so I thought it was time to move out to California, and so um, I worked started working in professional theater in San Diego, mm. uh, where San Diego Rep was where I really started off, and then. Um, I worked in most of the theaters around San Diego and then moved up to LA and it was up there. I, 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 you know, got that, the brutal education one gets from jumping both feet into the, the center of the universe. Mm. <laughs> and it was wonderful. You know, it was wonderful. I, I did, did some commercials that got a little national airing and things like that. I, I wrote for TV and did, I was very fortunate. I, I started working with some of the larger theaters down there, South Coast Repertory and the, the Mark Taper Forum and places like that. And um, so um, I worked in LA for a number of years and, and uh, I just did everything I could, you know, part of it was uh, just doing whatever hack work was needed. I did a thing for Disney where basically when they opened up uh, Splash Mountain, I did uh, all the extra music for that but basically all the extra music was 45 different arrangements of zippity doodah, which they owned. So Song of the South? Mm. Yep, yeah. Uh, okay. So it That's wasn't a little that glamorous, yeah. but you know, it, it was a paycheck. Yeah. No, and it's funny when you mentioned uh, the folk scene, I remember Gordon Lightfoot and even there's a guy named Bob Doro who wrote um, Schoolhouse Rock. I don't know if you remember that, oh, yeah. but that was big. Wow in the 70s but you know those were folk singers who sort of got grants from i think the children's television network network and um you know they started doing really creative things but for education but it sounds like you got involved in theater just you know as basically as a just as a business means it, it, i mean did the bug hit bite you or was it just another means of writing music it was both uh i had been writing back when i was back working out of the ivory tower at university of michigan and things like that i was writing operas and, and such and then so uh when i moved to california I, I i got some productions mounted and i was offered a job to work with some local theater companies and so it was it was the next step you know i love writing music for for theater i've written I, in my career i've written over 50 scores for for plays not musicals but just plays plays that have been produced on stage and have music that that uh, was composed for them and so i just love it. It, it it's been really an exciting thing because i would i've had to do things i would have never done on my own because directors wanted this they wanted that they point me in this direction uh they push you push you in directions that are sometimes out of your comfort zones and so uh and I've been involved in theater and along the way I've been writing a lot of musicals too and I wrote a whole bunch of kid musicals and uh, mm. and uh, just uh, it's just been the path that's uh, it's opened up for me yeah I want to bring Jamie back in so Jamie you got involved in playwriting what was your first play I mean uh, is your specialty uh, drama comedy um, uh, how was your first foray into playwriting yeah well, the, the first uh, full-length play was a performance piece, so, <laughs> and it, it had no dialogue, it had a, trape I didn't perform in that one, I had, it had trapeze and dance, and it had a score that was written for the entire piece, 
And that was a while ago. That was probably like 30 years ago. And then um, I, I continued to do more the shorter performance pieces. And then my first more proper play I wrote about 20 years ago. And it um, it has not made it to the stage. It's been, it's it's won, I think, one award, you know, like a, and it, um, I've submitted it all over the place. I think it's too controversial. It's it's about the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict. And um, so my pieces are, I think people call them quirky. They're, um, I don't think they're not comedies. They're not, I guess they're, I guess they're quirky. I don't know. So for instance, there's a piece that I'm reworking right now that was already staged with uh, called Female Ashkenazi with a Sewing Machine. It's actually uh, about a cancer journey, but it doesn't feel, um, it has, even though it has some, some difficult places, it also has a lot of lightness in it. Um, so I don't, and, and it definitely, I guess has some of my performance art background. It has a, a violinist who's on stage the entire time. It has the, the um, a shape-shifting Ashkenazi foundress who's on stage and sometimes she sings, it's almost operatic. Hmm. So um, I guess I'm, my work is, I don't know, the quirky hybrid style. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it sounds like- um, I've, oh, I've enjoyed what I've heard of your work. What? I was just going to comment that you're some, a lot of times your characters bring out some of the lightness. I've, what I've heard of, when I've attended your readings and things like that, some of your characters have a lot of things that are kind of fun in them, actually, even though they may be in rough situations. But uh, your characters are good. I think that's maybe where people call it quirky. Yeah, so you saw the Frankie, um, right. Frankie and Francis piece, which is still in development. So, um, so I've only, um, so more recently, I've only had two full lengths produced and they were by, done at Inferno Theater. Huh. One was called My Recollect Time, which was based, which was um, based on a historical figure named Mary Fields. And do either, does anyone know who she is? Oh no, edu educate us, tell us. Okay, so she's a 19th um, century character. She's, I mean, she's a historical person. She was an emancipated slave and People in Montana know who she is, but um, we don't know as much about her. So she, after she was emancipated, she ended up working on the Mississippi River. And then she ended up in Toledo, Ohio, where she worked, she had a very masculine look to her. And she worked, um, she ended up sort of being like a handyman to, uh, to, the, to a convent. And it's Sisters Ursuline. And then the mother of the uh, convent went to Montana as a missionary to open up uh, missions. And she got very sick and she asked Mary Fields to come out to, um, to Montana. And um, she was again, sort of like the, the, sort of like the handyman, she laid foundation, she, she put in the gardens, the, the nuns adored her because they felt very safe with her. She was very, she was large, she was I think six feet tall. She wore pistols under her apron. <laughs> um, she had coarse language. She smoked cigars and she drank. The bishop couldn't stand her and couldn't wait to get rid of her. And then at one point she got into a, a pistol fight with um, someone she was supervising who didn't want to follow her direction. 
and the bishop used that as an excuse to fire her. She was 60 years old. Oh. What do you do when you're 60 years old? So um, the mother superior found out the US Postal Service was hiring uh, mail carriers, which meant uh, driving a stagecoach full of mail for hours and hours in really harsh weather. This is up in Montana. Right. And she went, she had to take the test and I'm sure she was the only woman and I'm sure she was the only African-American and I'm sure all the other applicants were like men who are much younger than she and she got the job. And she drove that stagecoach for 10 years. <laughs> she is a folk hero up in Montana. Mm -hmm. they might, the school children might take the day off on her birthday. I know they did in the town where she lived. So I wrote a, um, a play about the relationship between her and the mother superior. It's interesting. It's a very, it's almost like an early LGBT. I mean, I have no idea whether, you know, she was, she was of that community, but. Well, that's know. how I, that's kind of how the play, you know, I, mean, I was just thinking if she was, if this story had taken place today, you know, maybe they would have consummated their relationship. Maybe she would have become a trans man. So the person who told me this story is Skylar Cooper. Um, amazing uh, he, he actor. Is. He is. Yeah. So Skylar um, had a job at one point that sent him up to um, Montana and he learned the story. And he very much, so he almost commissioned me to write that, write this play. Mm -hmm. And gave me tons of information. I didn't know anything about this until Skylar told me about Mary Fields. Oh, so this play was done by Inferno Theater. The director, um, Giulio Perone, um, does ensemble theater. He's a very talented- oh, Inferno, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a very talented set designer. And one of the things that he would do, so it was set very simply, he could do wonderful things with trunks. So at one point, the trunk was um, set up on end for um, like a bar scene. At one point, it was actually a bathtub. And so Mary, the, the mother superior was in the bathtub in her, um, her Victorian underwear and Mary Fields was washing her. And, and, and this is totally all about, you know, suspe you know suspension of disbelief. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then you also, of course, have the stagecoach. So the stagecoach was built up of trucks and Mary Fields was up there and she's driving the stagecoach and there were wolves that were harassing her. And, Total suspension of disbelief. So um, that's that's one of my stories. When, <laughs> my when did when did when did that run happen? Uh, when did that when... happened in 2013, I think. Oh, oh, interesting, interesting. And then female Ashkenazi was staged um, in 2017, and uh, I'm, I'm rewriting it with um, I'm, I'm I'm getting assistance from Melissa Hillman. And I don't know if you've had her as a guest, but you should. We have not, not yet. She's an not amazing yet. dramaturg. So one of the things I want to accomplish with the rewrite is I always intended to have a piece of textile art created on stage during each performance. So we're going to set up a workshop where I'm work we're working with the textile artist to, to see how that works. And there are other things I have to work on that script. Um, because of Giulio, Giulio Perone was the designer and director, and he, because of his skills, he was able to gloss over um, some um, 
problems in my script. So I have to rewrite it before I can send it to other theaters. Yeah. Mm. Um, Melissa Hillman, does she have a son named Dashiell? Dash? Uh, no, she has a daughter. Okay, I'm thinking of another Hillman. Okay. No, she she has a son also. Doesn't she have one son and one daughter? Oh, I think there might be two kids. I'm not sure. There might be two. Yeah, so she's the former artistic director of Impact Theater. Right. She was recently, just yesterday, she was on the Aurora's podcast or whatever they call their, mm -hmm. they do something similar to you guys. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, we have to definitely get her on. Let's let's talk about um, Play Cafe, Musical Cafe. How did you first uh, get involved? And um, well, actually, since you're the artistic director, how how did how did you get involved with uh, with Play Cafe? Okay, so I haven't been the executive director very long. Um, well, by now you have. What? <laughs> by it's now it's been a while. No, 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 I haven't. Um, I've I've been a member of Play Cafe for twenty years. Okay. But I only became the executive director two years ago. So Jerome, uh, who was your first guest, was our first. So we only became a nonprofit maybe, I don't know, six or seven years ago. I'm not sure exactly. So Jerome was our first artist, our first executive director. And then um, Tracy Held, who is someone yeah. everyone knows. And then I took over from Tracy. And I've, I've been in the position for about two years. How's that transition been? I mean, cause you know, but, being but an I've artist. Been, I, I've been ahead. the casting director for I think 12 years. <laughs> Got it. I was just gonna ask um, how, because I know sometimes transitioning between being an, an artist, just creating things and then doing uh, administrative things can be tough. Um, how has that transition been for you? Okay, so I, I, I was the manager of Inferno Theater for five years. I'm very good at managing things. Huh? And one of the reasons I left Inferno Theater is I spent so much time managing the theater that I, I knew there wasn't going to be another play <laughs> for me to write. So, um, so no, managing is, is, is quite natural for me. It's sort of like a genetic thing. It's just people in my family are good at managing things. But the problem is I'm not very good at juggling my personal artist needs and my <laughs> what needs to be managed. And also, I should say that we have an incredible, it's a small board of directors, but it's absolutely incredible. And Richard is um, an unofficial member of the board. There's only, mm -hmm. there are only four actual board members and, um, and you probably know everybody. So Robert Fields is one of our board members mm -hmm. and Loretta um, Janka. Okay. Yeah. And um, Madeline Puccioni. Yep, we definitely know her. Yeah. And me. And then um, Sandy. Sin is our treasure, but she's not officially on the board. And then Richard, uh, we make Richard come to all the board meetings, but he's not on the board. He's on the, the Musical Cafe Steering Committee. Mm -hmm. How about Rice Majors? Is Rice a uh, member or is he's just, because I know he works with a musical cafe? He did. I don't know. I guess he's doing his own projects right he's now. He's kind of drifted away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Richard, I'll, I'll bring you in. How did, how did, I'm imagining you were recruited to work for a musical cafe or how, how did you get involved in musical cafe? Well, it started off um, about 10 years ago. There was a, a small theater in San Francisco. Um, I'm forgetting the name of it right now. Uh, but there was a, the lady who had a, had a theater in, in, in uh, downtown on Mason 
and uh, could it have been the Phoenix? No, it was right below the Phoenix. It begins with an A, and I'm blanking out. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking out. It's going to come back. But anyway, she uh, she gathered a, a group of writers and composers together to develop a series of reviews. And for about three years, they had about two reviews a year where people would contribute. People would come together. There'd be a theme established for that particular show. And uh, we would pair up writers, writer and, and composers and uh, contribute songs to this review. And they'd be staged and they, they uh, were really interesting. They were a lot of fun. We made a lot of friends. We just worked with people we hadn't known before and, and became very good friends. We, a lot of collaborations came out of that. Um, at, at a certain point, that theater moved along. They got bought out by someone else that wanted the space that could pay more for it. And so that ended. So here where we were, uh, we all liked working together. So we just decided to meet on a every six weeks basis to share our songs and to kind of collaborate. And uh, it was, we'd go to different people's houses each time. And for about a year, that's what we did. And uh, we, we, we created some, we had some nice collaborations. We, we had some works that started um, off there. Jerome's play, um, the Takeoff on Twelfth Night came out of that. Uh, there were a number of really good collaborations. And then somebody suggested that we put together a showcase. And um, just to, because this was something that we could uh, get performances of the works that we were working on. And so we started doing that and that took off. That was about five years ago. And um, we started, you know, the format that you were involved in Reg was, was established where we did four shows in one night, a 20 minute segment, a showcase of each show, which uh, was a pretty good format. Put them in front of an audience and then the, put the, the composer, the writer in the same room with the audience and boy you sure do learn a lot about your piece when you're <laughs> oh absolutely I, yeah i had no idea that uh when i was involved with it in 2017 it was only two years old or yeah sounds like three years old i would have thought it would have been a lot longer but how was the collaboration i mean how did how did that merge into play cafe well play cafe already existed they are already were a nonprofit, and tracy held was running it at that time and uh, Sandy was on the Sandy Caston was on the, was the treasurer of it, of it. Sandy's, as you know, is a very well organized person. She's a she's not only good with money, she's a lawyer, and so she has a really good mind for organization. And she she took it to uh, Play Cafe and says, "Would you guys like to bring us in as part of what you do, so we can use your nonprofit status and and some of your organizational perks." And they took us on as a project of Play Cafe. And that's been our relationship ever since. And so we work together. We do everything we possibly can to support Play Cafe and they support us very well too. So it's been a, it's a, it's a family thing. 
It's awesome. I mean, and usually marriage is like that with, you know, and Norman and I have talked about how organizations should work with one another, maybe not as intimately as you guys, but like, you know, sharing audiences and maybe even sharing space. But sometimes those marriages don't work so well, but it sounds like Play Cafe and Musical Cafe, the marriages work very, very well. Well, Seems like it, yeah. Richard, I want you to talk about next stages and also talk about Song Salon. Yay. Okay, yay indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so So we have been doing these, we've done Oh, what about eight or so uh, of the showcases with four pieces per show, and Reg, you were you participated in that, and you could see that there's a lot to, a lot of benefit from that. But we we looked at it and we wanted to do more to help the individual writers, more than just get it up. Uh, we wanted to help provide dramaturgy and and feedback along the way, more of a development process. So we decided to try out this idea of what we call next stages, which is we've taken two shows a year, one year we did three, uh, where we, people submit their shows to a juried process and we, we select two musicals for development. And that means there would be two readings. And this is where, where I met you, Norman, with one yeah. of these readings, uh, where we, we would cast, the, 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 the writers would get their scripts ready for the first reading, the best form they could get it in. They get as much of the music organized on recording or ready, or the composer would just sing and play back from the piano. And we'd have a full reading from the beginning to end uh, of each piece. And, um, and then we, the reading was coordinated and run by a dramaturg and a music specialist. And we've been working with Alison Bergman and Min Khan in these roles. Uh, we've worked with a few others along the way, but they've been our, our most consistent dramaturg and music specialist. And the, at the end of the first reading, there'd be a, a discussion with the cast and get the feedback from everyone in the room just to see what they thought. And then the writers would get, would huddle with the dramaturg and, and men, the music specialist, and get really detailed feedback and take copious notes, get more notes in the next few weeks from the from the dramaturgs and then go off for at least two months and do a rewrite and come back and do it all again so we've done this for three years now where we've we've had people have two complete showcases read readings rather with support and then out of that we have the first year we did it, we chose one play uh, to the paper raincoat to be to get a staged reading, to get a full length performance, which is a little bit more than the 20 minute performance you got, Reg. But, uh, but do the whole play. And we did, we did the first one in concert style uh, with a band and the whole bit and, and the wonderful cast. 
we had a packed house and we got, it was just a wonderful experience for them. They brought people in to, to help them develop it further. And um, we chose the one for our second, uh, our second full performance. We chose Pickpocket, which was written by Sandy Caston. Oh, that was a brilliant one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. Joel Knopf had acted in that and that was just really, really well, well crafted. Yeah. But then coronavirus came along and we can't do that. We, we were supposed to be in production for that right now. It was yeah. supposed to go up in November. Yeah. Well, it's postponed. I'm sure, you know, you'll get a chance to do it after. But, but we're continuing on the next stage is reading. And uh, we found that they, it works just as well over Zoom. Right. It's nicer when everyone's in the room. It's, it's, it's a heck of a lot more it's, fun. It's a big difference, but you are definitely one of the organizations where I've always felt, always, that I felt in the Zoom era could make that transition most effectively. It does work. And, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, you can't stand around the snack table, you know, catching up with your old friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, I mean, the exposure, I mean, sure, the... Um, it's wonderful the the development because pickpocket and not only that but we had a guest on I'm I'm hoping Norma can help me with this it was a guest that you brought on she was from Tennessee and she brought her musical to musical cafe Amber Amber no it was uh, the paper raincoat Amber Rubarth oh the, right. was that the paper raincoat okay got it that was the paper raincoat it was amazing to go through the process to watch these three creators in the room seeing their piece come to life it was right. it was it was gorgeous you were the dead dad yeah <laughs> the spiritual dead yeah yes. but no i mean just the exposure i mean it's and it's something that i mean i think about i, I remember stories of the brill building where you know a bunch of you know this is, goes back to the 50s and the early 60s early days of rock and roll where just a bunch of writers musical writers would write together and they would write songs and they would bring singers in and you know all of a sudden you'd have a you know you'd produce and on, in musical form it sounds like that's what it is you have a bunch of you know musical writers and they you know create their musical or they submit the musical to musical cafe let's say you get a 20 minute piece and then it could be developed and then you get the exposure you get the audience and you get constructive criticism it's a wonderful wonderful and i never even thought that there would be an organization that would do this i mean the only other organization that i know in the bay area that works on any sort of you know musical from the top up is 42nd street moon but they even work on just obscure musicals from the past right. but new musicals i think play uh, uh, musical, musical cafe is the cafe, only one yeah. is the yeah. only one which is wonderful we fill a very specific niche and and that's you know there's very little opportunity as you know, Reg, you know, there to get a musical developed is there's for every ten for every ten opportunities in for a play to be developed, there's maybe 0.5 opportunities. Uh, yeah, for a, yeah, no. Musical. These You're absolutely more right. More expensive. There's different expertise. There's all whole bigger staffs. Everything involved. Yeah. Jamie, I wanted to bring you in. I'm curious about the business model of Play Slash Musical Cafe. Do you get your money from grants or uh, or audiences? Um, how, how does it, you know, there are a lot of companies that just fold. They're like, oh my goodness, you know, we, we can't make the rent or, you know, we can't pay anybody and we can't raise the revenue. But it sounds like Play Slash Musical Cafe keeps on going. What's the business model? Uh, the business model is... Um... We don't pay the staff. 
that's me. <laughs> um, we don't pay, we don't, we're not paying for rent right now. We, okay, the source of income is we apply for grants, but this year we only got two. We got the two we expected. We got one from the city of Berkeley. We've been getting those pretty, re, pretty constantly. We also got a grant from uh, the county of Alameda, but we didn't get any from Theater Bay Area, anything from Zellerbach or the Maza. So the other source of income is we um, have a low membership fee that we charge. We um, ask people to contribute. So for instance, uh, this year we've had, well, by the end of the year, we will have had nine workshops. And even though the workshops are free, we ask people to make a, a contribution. It hasn't quite covered the cost because we do pay our artists. So I do wanna make that clear actually. So our staff isn't paid, but we pay our artists. And I'm gonna break some news here that Norman's certainly gonna appreciate. We raised our stipends for actors, Norman. Yay! Yay. Starting, it's partially, I mean, this has been overdue. Um, we've been, in comparison to some other organizations, we've been paying more than other organizations, but it's it wasn't minimum wage. Right. And I think partially because of the pressures of AB5, um, I think that we decide, well, this is one way that we're going to deal with this. And I don't want to go into AB5. It's pretty complicated, but that certainly is. We've definitely talked about AB5, you know, basically. It's a big issue for our yeah. community, especially, and it's something. Many communities, yes. <laughs> right. So, um, okay, so wait, so our revenue. So the money comes from memberships. It comes from some grants. It comes from um, people who make donations when they take classes. We ask people to pay something when they participate in a table read or a C night. And we had a few funny little fundraisers this year. Well, actually only one that's kind of unusual. I was making COVID-19 masks. <laughs> oh, yay. We brought in $479. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> so I would just, yes. I just uh, would make masks for my friends. And then I would say, well, if someone in my, this is in the early days. And I would say, well, if someone admires your mask, that they can contact me, but I'll let them know that um, we would appreciate a contribution. Right. You should have logos. You should have like a musical cafe logo on the mask. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. the way it worked out is um, I didn't buy any of the fabric. People contributed fabric. People contributed the elastic. And uh, uh -huh. it was a lot of fun because they were everything was custom made. So if someone wanted a mask, people um, would, I would tell them, well, these are the fabrics that are now available. Mm -hmm. the, the two styles I make, mm -hmm. and I would make them to order. <laughs> oh, that's, that's nice. That's awesome. So uh, it's it's no, better no, no, no. setting up a lemonade stand. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, you, well, the thing about you can't do a lemonade stand during COVID-19. So in the past, right. we had, like last year and years past, we've had these, these wonderful um, picnics in my backyard for the silent auction. Oh, right. And obviously that couldn't happen this year. Um, so how else, oh, so that's, that's where, yeah. you know. We had a cabaret one year. Yeah, too, but also the show, the showcases, you bring in audiences for the showcase and they pay, right? Well, but I think that's probably broke even, right? Because you had to pay rent, we had to pay rent for the right. venues yeah, they, and we pay our artists. We didn't really quite break even on, right. on ticket income, but. But that's the way theaters usually are. You know, but, you don't usually break even. We have low overhead. 
Yeah, yeah. But it's wonderful that, uh, and, you know, as far as the stipend thing is concerned, that's wonderful news. I mean, as an actor, I'm constantly asked, I, I get an email or a text message, hey, you know, can you do a reading? Can you help in a reading or whatever? And a lot, as a matter of fact, I remember it was yesterday, I think it was the day before yesterday, one actor says, oh my God, an actor dropped out. Can you come in a Zoom thing right now? <laughs> and oh, do a wow. reading a cold reading and i was like hey he's a friend of mine sure why not what's the big deal <laughs> actors well i'm wow. sure you you would have had a different reaction norman uh, but oh it depends uh, on who it is i mean and and what it is i mean that's so to to keep this the focus on play cafe and, and musical cafe i love the specificity of the organization it does uh fill a specific niche it's development but it's you know development is is a much more abstract term this is putting pieces of paper or scripts in people's hands and hearing it out loud and having a little bit of an informal group discussion about it but mo the most important thing is just to hear that thing out loud to be given that opportunity is something that writers just don't get but I want to give praise to Play Cafe, Musical Cafe. 2017 was a really wonderful year for me because I, okay, I, you know, I got an email from, I think it was Allison Luderman. Hey, you know, we have a actor that dropped out. Can you come in and do, you know, my little play? And I'm like, well, okay, it's a musical. Okay, that's fine. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into and the whole organization of Musical Cafe and even Play Cafe. And so I, get, I involved myself and I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. I'm a musical writer. I've written a bunch of songs. You know, I used to write for my dad's group back in the 90s and they're just collecting dust. Maybe I can, you know, put together a play and submit it. And boom, all of a sudden I get a submission. You know, it's accepted. I get an audience. I get good constructive criticism and I get the exposure. And that was like, wow, that's fantastic. And I get a second reading on the play that I was developing, Foreman in Paris. And if it weren't for Musical Cafe, one of my actors brought in a friend of hers, Corinne Ritchie, who wound up producing Four Men in Paris. So it's one of those, you know, act, we always need connections, you know, within the theater community town. to move up. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's small. And then you never know who's in the audience. So, you know what, and I think that's another important aspect of Play Cafe. It's all about community. I mean, I know that yeah. Norman and I have talked about how we've introduced. He's met all sorts of people through Play Cafe. I've met Absolutely. friends are through Play Cafe. And um, we, 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 um, theater artists cannot work in silos. We need each other. Right. That's what it, we need each other. Ab absolutely, absolutely. And so I just want to just throw that in there. Um, yeah. Did you have another question, Norman? Um, Not question, but another comment on this. Um, just so you bring these people together and that is, that is a powerful experience. Um, I think one of the marks of success is how many people are going to come at you and ask, well, why don't you do this? Why can't you do this? Why can't you add this? I, I think that's a mark of success. And I think to play cafe and musical cafe, I think even more for musical cafe, because a full musical is a huge undertaking of a lot of people. And to be able to say, you know, that's not who we are. So we're not going to put all of our focus on that because the service that we're already offering is worth having. And I think that's true for both, both arms of the organization that, um, you know, you are giving people an opportunity that is a useful opportunity. And if then you can help point them towards the next step, those few place, ways that the organizations are saying, well, we can showcase, we can do this, we can encourage more. 
is is kind of taking you to the max, it seems to me. I mean, maybe you guys have different take on that, but it seems to me like what you offer as a service is huge, and people are, because it works, people are going to ask you for more. Does that seem fair? Well, it, we like it when they want to become involved. That's that's sort of the payoff. Yay. Yeah, no, I uh, I remember, you know, my experiences, I remember there were artists, in, including me, who were like, oh, wow, can we add another musician? Can we add this? Can we add that? And of course, the answer was, well, no, we can't really do that because we have to have, you know, one pianist. Because if you ask for more, that's more resources. And right. you know, it's yeah. like, hey, you, know, you, may even want some, you may want some more food on the table, but okay, are you going to come in the kitchen to fix it? Are you going to provide the resources for us? So I totally understand where Musical Cafe says, hey, listen, we have a pianist. We'll give you 20 minutes and to showcase your piece. And I think there's a limit to how many actors. Is there a limit of actors? They're around eight is where we rounded it. Yeah. yeah. And you, of course, you encourage the actors to work on other um, right. musical I mean, pieces within the yes. showcase. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a collaborative right. effort. And of course, it you know, it's a while to establish those limits. But the, the limits you pointed out, I mean, that's a very good point. You, we really had to be very clear on what we offered and what we did not. Right. And, and we were able, we've, we've presented like 40 plays, 40 musicals. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't have done that if we were <laughs> too, trying to be too generous. Right. But understanding what our mission is. Yeah, yeah. And it's a wonderful mission. I mean, it's done so much. Where, where do you see Musical Slash Play Cafe in the future? Um, in, I don't know, five years or so, do you feel it growing, expanding? Uh, what, do you, what do you think, both well, of you? Well, there's a, there's a good entree. We're trying to get younger people involved, trying to get nice. new people involved all the time. We've, had, uh, we've got a wonderful project going on now that, that Jamie can tell you a little bit more about, our, our song Salon. Uh, we're trying to grow in, in the areas of our expertise. Mm -hmm. And uh, you want to tell them about Song Salon and, and Jen? I thought you were going to talk about Well, I'm happy to. Okay. Salon okay. is being coordinated by Jen Coogan, who is a wonderful composer and just a sweetheart of a person, as smart as they get, and her husband, Matt. Um, and uh, basically it's, it's an online song salon that we're coming up on our third month of this uh, in November, where people from all around the country, frankly, uh, are, are in, the word goes out that we're having a song salon on such and such date. This, this month it's November 21st. And so if you do, do, would you like to have a song on it? And if you uh, submit, you prepare a video of, of your song, one song, and um, then we all, everything gets all queued up and the program gets set up and we have a Zoom session that lasts about hour and a half, two hours, where everyone gets to introduce their song, say a little something about it, and then present the video. We all, we all put them on YouTube and so, so the coordinators got a, a stack of YouTube links there just to play through. And, um, and then we have a slight, a, a short discussion after each song. And the rules are always say something nice. Don't get into a, a, a real critical breakdown, but just say something nice and give some support to your friends.
Mm -hmm. And we've had some really good material, some excellent stuff. And we found this through, through uh, we had a workshop earlier in the summer with Rona Siddiqui, who used to- Oh, yeah. Rona, I used to, yeah, go ahead. You know Rona? Yeah, I worked with her. Uh, she did. She, uh, I did. I worked at the Darkroom Cafe, and uh, we did the it was the Twilight Zone, but it was also the Gong Show. That's what it was. And she was a piano player for the Gong Show. Right. Well, well she's well, in New York well. now, and she's been winning all sorts of awards. She's going to have a show on Broadway within the next two three years after it mm. opens up again. She's doing great. So we had her. We had a a, a, a discussion with her early in the summer. And out of that discussion, uh, she told Jen and the people about this thing that they were doing in New York and invited Jen to participate in it. Uh, with the, And that's, we're copying their format basically. But somehow we've got, I haven't heard any more about that program, but Jen's been able to get it up on its feet and get it running. So we're getting a lot of the New York people, we're getting people from Chicago, the Midwest, all over the place. Uh, all over the country to submit to our our song salon, and it's it's a it's a real positive thing. It's just totally um, a helpful thing for all of us because, you know, we all work in our own little bubble, especially now, and it's nice to feel the sense of community and it's nice to be inspired by. Wow, you did that. I like the way you twisted that character around and got, got her to say this, you know, mm -hmm. and you supported just right with the music. You know, there's all sorts of cool things we can learn from each other. Wow. That is awesome. Song Salon. I think we're going to submit to that. Huh. Yes. I've been, I found myself recently watching for what the workshops are that you guys are sponsoring. Cause I'm like, wow, I would love to just work on a song and, you know, get some feedback. That sounds great. We've, we're uh, coming across the one-hour mark. Any last things before we uh, close things up? Um, I'll yeah. throw one more question at you. Um, is it... So we're talking about what limitations allow you to function more most effectively. Um, is it too much to try and get producers involved at this stage? Is that is that kind of putting the cart before the horse or... Is that a possible way to add more? I loved hearing, you know, trying to find ways to get more young people in definitely seems smart. Norman, I would love to connect producers with our um, artists. If you <laughs> this out, I've been going around and talking to artistic directors and trying to make arrangements for them to connect with us. And it, it hasn't been easy. Right. It's not easy, but we've been, we have put in an effort with everything we've put out there to yeah. make, to make relationships with these people, to let them yeah, know. We're, we we're not, we're not going to become a theater and produce things, but right. we definitely want connections with, with other, with theaters. So yeah, I would love to continue this conversation. And when we have our public performances, you look around the theater and there's, there's usually five, six people there who are exactly the people you were talking about. Well, yeah, no, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about because I think more than that might be too much, but that seems like, the, especially that time when something has gotten a chance to polish a little bit, you know, here, take a look at this. Richard, you, you know some pieces that have gone on, right? Can you can you mention some? Well, uh, probably the biggest of them is, is Min Khan's uh, 
the I haven't got immigrants. The, for immigrant manga, which mm. we, which was our first showcase, and and uh, Min had already established a relationship with Theater Works for that project, and and uh, they 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 provided the director for that for our our showcase, and so our showcase was a, a, a very direct stepping stone from them talking to Min for to Min getting a full production at Theater Works. Wait. And uh, there's, you know, there's other theaters around the country now that are interested in that play. It's won a lot of awards. You definitely have to get Min Kong on, on the podcast. So I, I think we, we do have one more workshop this year. Yay. Tell us. Okay. So let me see if I can, or Reg, can you get, look at it? Oh, here. Let's see how I can easily get to it. Yeah. Melissa. Yeah, it's Melissa Hillman. It's called, um, it's a free workshop. It's the Dramaturg Workshop, right? Yes. Right. It's the Dramaturgy of World Building. It's an hour and a half. If people go to playcafe.org, they can easily find it. And it's not so much a dramaturgy class. I think it's, it's almost, because this is really for playwrights, it's almost a way of helping us look at our place from outside in. Wait, mm -hmm. I hope I said that right. It's to help us be, and so um, we'll see. I've been working privately with her and she's pretty amazing. She's very insightful. So I would recommend, I would highly recommend. Yeah. And of course, we'll have a link to that. You know, people will be able to link and we'll, uh, if you can send me that again, because I have, I have some of your older emails at Musical Cafe Songs Along, October 17th. That was back then. Okay, and I'll resend it. <laughs> yeah, resend it. But uh, no, I, I, you know, obviously what what the two of you and really all of you, everyone who has worked on Play Cafe, Musical Cafe, it's a wonderful resource for actors who want to dive into singing. Uh, you know, I met Alan, you know, Alan Coyne had been involved, uh, Nick Mandrakia. There are a lot of folks who yeah. I know in the theater community that was like, oh, wow, <clears throat> you're involved in Musical Cafe. And also budding playwrights. You know, we've right. talked a lot about Musical Cafe today, but really Play Cafe is also a wonderful stepping stone for those who want to hear their work done. I've been involved in a lot of, uh, you know, other groups that do readings. And usually I feel like I'm giving more than I'm getting. And, but I feel differently with the Play Cafe. I really feel, you know, there's the dramaturg there. I get constructive criticism. Um, you know, it's good to have the pat on the head, but it's also good to hear, hey, listen, this is where things can be stronger and better. And this character works with this character doesn't that. work. We and yeah, that. exactly. We, we totally need that. And you guys provide that. So, you, and it's, it's a great lesson that you don't have to be a theater organization, you don't have to put on a full production to be a productive member or to add something to the theater community. You know, Play Cafe and Musical Cafe is a wonderful stepping stone to doing greater things. So you guys uh, deserve a wonderful round of, round of applause for that. We're trying to keep it going. <laughs> can, I, can I bang my pot? <laughs> sure, yeah. why not, why not? Please. <laughs> well, this is not for Play Cafe, this is for... Uh... <laughs> Number 46. Number 46. Oh, of course, of course. There's bang, bang away. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Hey, uh, it's all smiles. This is a wonderful, wonderful day. And uh, it's wonderful. Thank you guys for uh, for coming on and Thank you. and uh, spending, Thank spending time you. with us. Uh, we're not going to close just yet. Uh, shout outs, birthdays. 
Birthdays. Uh, Stuart Bozell's birthday is coming up. Oh. Um, he is a major producer. He is a playwright um, and director, um, and he runs... Oh gosh, I can't even think of the uh, the name of the. They do this big um, Olympiads. That's what it's called. That's right. The Olympiads. Um, so his birthday's coming up. Christian Haynes is an actor director I've worked with. I've been thrilled to work with a number of times, um, and I've worked with him through uh, Shots SF, and I've worked with him through. Through Actually, us. Did we finally get him to play cafe? We finally got him there. Yeah, um, but also with the they were the Arabian Shakespeare Company. They're now. Um, perspective theater but um is a wonderful wonderful talent and his wife is equally talented she uh, was just in as you like it this summer with sf shakes a uh, great watanabe is somebody who i connected with when i was first starting out in bay area theater we did midsummer night's dream he played oberon to my puck it was a lot of fun uh linda jones speaking of wives um uh Kent Nicholson was um, the, I can't even remember what his title was, but he was a major force at the Magic Theater way back in the day. And then I meet this woman, and she is so amazing, a wonderful actress who is now in New York. Uh, Safi Wright, uh, birthday's coming up this week. She's somebody, an actress I met through African American Shakespeare Company. Lynn Schaefer, I'm not sure how I've met him. He does a lot of musical theater, um, and uh, has, we've known each other for many, many years in the Bay Area. James Brooks is possibly the oldest black male actor I know in the Bay Area. Uh, Brian Stevens on the opposite end of the spectrum is a young man. He was a young man when we did a show at Theater Works in 2000. Um, we did a You Can't Take It With You. Uh, Avery Mitchell was one of my students. I've been teaching up in Richmond for like seven years, East Bay Center for the Performing Arts. He was one of my first students, went off to college, got his degree and has come back um social justice but he's back working in the arts so he's bringing that degree to working in the arts it's pretty cool michael patterson somebody i know from college uh, i was at sf state uh bay area actor he kind of bounces around the country but he keeps coming back i'm going to skip some because i think ridge will have them uh gina padilla muriera is the wife of ron muriera who is the san jose cultural arts um, consultant. He's got his fingers in all kinds of pie, very big on theater. He actually came out of theater. That's where they met her. And she had been a stage manager on a show I did. So uh, her birthday is coming up this week. Robert Parsons, a major Bay Area actor who has been doing a lot of teaching at ACT as well, uh, director. Zelma Livingston, I only spent a year with when I was at CalArts for one year. Um, and then I moved on, and she has continued to do performing. And then probably my newest relationship uh, on this list, Carl Smith, who is the artistic director of the Maskers Playhouse up in Point Richmond. And I will be doing, as this is a little bit of a segue, I will be doing a piece, I'll come to that after the birthdays, um, that he's, um, he's not directing, he's helped putting it together for a fundraiser they're doing. And I will be directing with them next fall. A local playwright, a Judith Offer. Um, Pete Fitzsimmons, uh, Reg will have that one. Ron Santiano is actually a film director that I've gotten to work with a couple of times. And final list, final one on my list for this week is Dodds Delzell. I did not know of the amazing pool of talent in the North Bay until I got to do a show up in San Jose, I'm San Jose, and Santa Rosa, 
And Dodds is, everybody knew him, everybody knew about him, and then I started seeing him in shows around here. I was like, damn, you know, there's this wonderful talent pool. So those are the birthdays I have for this week. Okay, my list is rather short. Uh, Rachel Pospisil, uh, I worked with her. She was a director. Uh, I did sound for her. Uh, we It was Heather's at the uh, Gateway Theater, which is, um, it's a theater on um, the pier, uh, the pier in San Francisco. It's, um, I I don't know. I, maybe it's, maybe it is Gateway Theater. But in any case, she's a fantastic oh, director. Yeah, the Gateway Theater, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, she and that was a fantastic musical, and she's a fantastic director, uh, a young director, but you know, uh, strong enough to deal with not only a very very big cast but also a very big orchestra. And uh, she, you know, she was like a uh, a general, four star general, just bang bang bang. So her birthday is tomorrow. Um, I'm going on my list. Uh, let's see. I have a Madeline Butler. I have no idea who she is. Um, She's a playwright. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> I've got people on my list and I have no idea. We mentioned Pete Fitzsimmons. Of course, he played our Ollie in Foreman in Paris. So he's a fantastic actor and he's also an art collector. His birthday is oh. on Friday. Mm-hmm. And I think I have one more. No. Oh, uh, Michael Capelli. I don't know if you um, brought him up, but actually his birthday will be not tomorrow, but oh, next no. Sunday. <laughs> Michael Capelli uh, was involved I'll in. Get before, him next week. Yeah, before the dream, uh, that was uh, a piece created by Richard Talavera, dealing with Richard Wright, and uh, Michael Capelli was an actor. I have no idea where Michael is these days. Maybe in Michigan, I think. In he the, is in Connecticut. Um, I actually took him from that show to um, do a Jeannie Baroga play, uh, Banyan. Um, fantastic, wonderful just a great heart and solid on stage actor. Um, and he and his partner moved back to Connecticut and many years ago, they, the, before all the craziness of now with housing in the Bay area, they were already like, this is just a lot of work for, you know, our, 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 basically our paychecks are just going into housing. Yeah. So they, um, they moved back to Connecticut. They seem very happy. There you go. And that's it. That's uh, the birthdays that I have. Uh, shows. Tell us what you're doing, Norman. Uh, I am playing Frederick Douglass. Oh, there, right on. You <laughs> need more fundraiser hit- for the Maskers Playhouse on December first, seven o'clock. And I, um, and I put it here, didn't I? Yes, uh, there. You I need put more- it in the chat. Yeah. Um, and so that's coming up. And the, uh, the play is Just Vote, which is about Susan B. Anthony. Now we know another Susan B. Anthony play that I would love to see. Yeah. But oh, this, this is the Judith Offer play, isn't it? Isn't it the Judith? This Offer? is a second Judith Offer play. It's called. It's one she's just working on. Um, or just finishing, and it's called Just Vote. And so uh, they're going to use it for their fundraiser on December 1st. Right on. Judith Offer. Yeah, she was a guest on the A, and I've worked with her, and she's fantastic. I'm glad that she's getting the exposure she needs. Yeah, that's. Uh, but that's the only new thing that I have. Uh, let's see. I... Um... Uh, yeah, let's see. I, I think the flats are still going on. Well, we've if been... If you guys have stuff, get them ready. Yeah. Um, let's see. Today is the 7th, so that means yesterday was the opening for Trying. That's a uh, play uh, being done by Tabard Theater. It's being uh, streamed live. Uh, Melissa Bambouis is in the show, and we'll have links to that. So that opened yesterday, and I think it's still still going on. Um do you guys have any uh, is is there anything going on with Play Cafe Musical Cafe uh, in uh, soon? The Melissa Hillman thing is the main thing next. Yeah, nothing public in terms of performances. We our performances 
our showcases will be live. <laughs> okay. Okay. And uh, we'll definitely have, and uh, there, you know, you guys have a, a website, so we'll have a link to the website so that people can see not only what's going on so that they can view it, but also for budding musical writers and also playwrights. You, I'm sure you're still getting submissions for pieces. Yes, we're going to open up the next stages for the 2021 season. So that will be really, well, we're going to start opening uh, submissions by the end of probably in December. Okay. And try to, uh, we're setting a schedule depending on the uh, talent, you know, our, our dramaturgs and things like that, their availability. In terms of table uh, we'll reads, let you know. we'll keep it posted. Today's actually the deadline to submit um, for the last table read of this year. We, we um, schedule six table reads for street, straight plays a year. And mm -hmm. all the information is if someone uh, subscribes to our newsletter, they see all the, they learn about all our events. So I'll, I'll give you that, that information, Rich. I'll give you um, the email to, to send to ask to be put on our newsletter. Awesome, awesome, great. Um, Jamie, Richard, uh, did you guys enjoy being on the A? Yes. <laughs> yes, very much. You guys asked some great questions and it's, it's just nice to put our heads together and talk. <laughs> well, I should tell, we were expecting, of course, to be on the yay, and then COVID-19 came. And right. we were frightened <laughs> to go in, we were too frightened to go into the, um, into the studio. Into we, the studio. Yeah, yeah which is, which is really my living room. <laughs> yeah, so, which is so no big deal. We. No, no, that, we, that's we also were very scared. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're, no, no, no. Go, uh, go right ahead. No, I'm just saying we're delighted to be here because we were, yes. you know, taken off for us to get glad on. Glad it worked out. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad it worked out as well. And of course, Zoom. I mean, the, we got a little bit of static today because the more people who are on Zoom, depending upon right. bandwidth, you know, your your mileage may vary. But that's okay. We're we're here and we're talking, and uh, it's been a wonderful day. Of course. Uh, Joe Biden's victory has put a smile on all of our faces, and this is a great time to, to be doing the A. Here's my blurb. You're probably watching this on YouTube, <clears throat> so please like and subscribe and uh, tell us what you like and what you don't like about the A, and we'll, <clears throat> we'll respond. If you're listening to this via the podcast, you can listen to this on any podcast that you listen to. We're on Spotify. We're on the iTunes app. We're on that little purple app that you look at your, uh, listen to your podcasts on if you have an iPhone or an iPad. Uh, if you're a, um, a, a Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you can find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. I'm at Reg Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. <laughs> and um, how can people reach um, either you, Jamie, or Richard? Uh, should they just go on Musical Cafe or PlayCafe.com? No, they or, can um, write to programs at PlayCafe.org. So that's P-R. It's programs with an S at PlayCafe.org. Okay. That's our email. And they can go to the website. Right. It's PlayCafe.org. Got it. So no Twitter, no Instagram, nothing like that? Not really. Okay. <laughs> we, no. I, I only, I only tweet when we have um, events. So you know, like that counts. <laughs> and, sure. and and then our song salon ends up on Instagram and a few other things. But no, we're we're kind of old fashioned. Low tech. No. Not a problem. I yeah, see so you got the Oreo. I found this at the store. I found this at the store today. I'm not doing a commercial for Oreo. Uh -huh. It is a red, white, and blue 
Oreo. Wow. Oh. Hey, there, and because there you of go. their election, I was like, oh, I have to buy that. Hey, <laughs> patriotism, man. Good for your stomach, too. Or maybe not. <laughs> All righty. We'll yeah. Well, folks, uh, have a wonderful weekend. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find, find a better, better sign off. off. And we are out. Yeah.